those that love the light should come out of darkness. So I, I'm, I'm uh, not as young as I used to be. I need some lights to see. So when I don't use my iPad, my iPad lights up. Paper don't do that. So I need some light to be able to see. Uh, today is a very uh, uh, interesting day because uh, normally I'm not preaching uh, on pastor appreciation. Uh, this is pastor appreciation or pastoral family appreciation Sunday. Pastoral family is down to three members now. Rest of them are married off. We're not in any hurry to marry Hannah off yet, but uh, uh, we're, we, we have we've been here so long now that pastoral family has shrunk uh, on these days. And uh, but but today is uh, the Appreciation Sunday. I'm usually, and we love you. I'm usually not the one to be speaking today, but uh, with everything that's going on, because this is only our second Sunday back uh, in house, and we still got all these kind of restrictions. Things are just kind of weird. And because of that, uh, I'm going to be preaching. But it's also Pentecost Sunday. A- amen. And, um, and so I was praying for a message, and I-, I wanted to combine not your appreciation for me, but my appreciation for this church family. I wanted to combine that with what it means to live a spiritual life, because that's what Pentecost Sunday is about. Now, I came from the old church. And when I say I come from the old church, what I mean is they were simple folks. Uh, Doesn't make them any worse or any less uh, than anybody else, but they were simple folks. A lot of them never graduated past fifth or sixth grade. They went into the coal mines at at 16, 17 years old. Uh, They were simple people. And when they got together, they could not explain to you the deep concepts of the Bible. They they came to church uh, faithfully. They cooked more chicken dinners and baked more fried pies than you can shake a stick at. I mean, these people loved the Lord. They loved their church. They loved and supported their pastor. But they were simple people. So they didn't understand a lot of the Old Testament types and shadows and and things that I have taught faithfully through the years. I did not learn that from the old church because that's not what the old church was about. The old church was about coming in, we'd rebuke the devil, they'd shout the rafters down, Uh, they'd shout until the bobby pins flew out of their beehive hairdos, Uh, they'd sweat the place up, they they would pray until the glory fell. I mean, they, they knew the Lord, they knew to pray, they knew to shout, but they didn't know a lot about the Bible. Uh, They knew Scripture, but they didn't understand the deep, intricate things that maybe me and you do today. So when I was growing up, I was fed that Pentecost Sunday is a celebration of the falling of the Holy Ghost, which it is. However, what we relegated the falling of the Holy Ghost to back then was speaking in tongues. And and I don't blame our church for that. I don't blame the Pentecostal church for that. I blame everybody else. Because when you ask them what the Pentecostal church is about, that's what they'll tell you. Oh, that's them tongue talkers, they'll say. And because that was how we were identified, that's what we believed, uh, that speaking in tongues was uh, was the identity of Pentecost. This past week, uh, my mind started, uh, I've been, you know, trying to keep up with some current events and things. And I was, like I said, I was trying to put this sermon together for the past couple of weeks uh, about Pentecost and and about uh, spirit-filled living. And something happened this past week that is uh, in the news and it's making a lot of uh, controversy. And and, and I, 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 I felt in my spirit that this is probably the best definition of Pentecost that I've ever been given. In all my years of ministry, 
Uh, because I've always rejected the idea that it's just about speaking in tongues and flopping in the floor. As a matter of fact, the older I get, I would rather see people, instead of falling the floor, stand up in the Lord. That, that's, that's, that's just me, though. I've preached that pretty much since I've been here, but I'm really dogmatic about it these days. I, I would rather, instead of you falling out in the Spirit, I'd rather see you walk it out in the Spirit. That's just me. Because I see a whole lot of people that fall out in the Spirit but don't do a whole lot of walking in, in the Spirit. And, and so uh, when, when I'm looking around and, and I remember what Pentecost was supposed to be about. When, when you think about Pentecost, it, on the first Christian Pentecost, go back to Acts chapter 2. Go back to when the Holy Ghost fell. This was about scattered nations being grafted back into one family. That's what the falling of the Holy Spirit was about. A lot of what you saw uh, on this, uh, on this uh, video uh, relegates to this. There, there was one family was supposed to be born out of the human race because that's always been God's idea. And on Pentecost Sunday, he birthed a movement that extended outside of Israel. See, up until... The New Testament, up until Acts chapter 2, God's people was one nation. Over the whole globe, one people group, the nation of Israel, was God's people. Just one. And what Pentecost did was when the Holy Ghost fell, and Joel chapter 2 and verse 28 had prophesied that I'll pour my spirit out on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. What God was saying was he is going to birth one nation under God. But it wasn't going to be relegated to one nation. It was going to be a worldwide movement under the Spirit of God. So he was birthing a movement that extended outside the borders of Israel for the first time. Can I tell you that we need both, uh, we, we need to be both spiritual and logical all at the same time. Because if all I'm ever doing is praying to the Lord, but I'm never trying to understand other people's experiences, we only operate in one sphere and we're ineffective in this world. Can I tell you that above everything else, before I am anything, before I'm a father, before I'm a husband, before I'm a pastor or a bishop or a mechanic or a plumber or anything else, I need to be a Christian? That's what Pentecost Sunday was about. It was about making people Christian first. And I'm going to be honest, if we could get more Christians to be Christians before they were anything else, we could turn this world upside down like the, Old Te like the New Testament. Listen, i got to be a Christian before I'm a white man. Listen to me. you got to be Christian before you're an African American. you got to be a Christian before you're a Latino. you got to be a Christian before you're a Democrat or a Republican because if we could get under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we could actually make a difference in this world. Because the rest of these voices are getting muted, but the voice of God will always come through in every instance. Because here's what I'm discovering, and you're seeing it in the world today. Constitutions can declare that everybody is equal. But what constitutions cannot do is legislate the heart. And that's why the Holy Spirit is so important to us today. Because we will always lack the ability to treat one another with equality if we do not have the power and the Spirit of God living inside of us. 
If I can look at you and see the color of your skin, you can look at me and see the color of my skin. If I can look at you and see your background, if I can look at you and see your last name, if I can look at you and see your education or where you graduated from, then that is not me looking at you spirit to spirit. That's why we have to operate both in the natural and in the spiritual. Because I've got to be able to look at you and see you've got the spirit of the living God on the inside of you, which is abundantly more important than anything else that I can see with my two eyes. See, the message of Pentecost is that the Holy Spirit not only makes us equal, the Holy Spirit makes us one. And when I see you as the same as me, I'll treat you like me. That's the key difference. Because the Holy Spirit baptizes whosoever. The Holy Spirit doesn't discriminate against ethnicity or color or gender or social status. He also baptizes us into one body. Hello. A spirit-filled church has the Spirit of God above everything else. Society does not just need equality. It needs oneness. It needs to be whole. And that's what the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost came to give us, was wholeness. This is the good news of Pentecost. And by the way, I think God snuck one in on people in this country anyway, all the way back at Azusa Street. Because God showed up and baptized this nation with the Holy Spirit, gave us our own version of Pentecost, and used a black preacher to do it. In a day when that was not something that would have been abundantly uh, 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 well-received, as a matter of fact, he wasn't well-received, and the revival wasn't well-received because of the race relations in that world. But when we look back on history, there is no denial who the preacher was in the pulpit when the Holy Spirit fell in this nation. So God was showing us then that color don't mean nothing to God. And if it don't mean anything to God, it shouldn't mean nothing to us either. That's what, whole, that's what Pentecost is about. The Pentecost that I am searching for, seeking, and running after has a lot more to do with that than it does speaking in tongues and leaving Jesus tracks on the ceiling. Can I get an amen from somebody who loves the Lord this morning? Now, speaking to that, let's open with a scripture. I'm getting good at preaching before I preach. That's what happens when you talk to a camera for 10 weeks. Exodus chapter 17, I'm going to take my text from, and because of all the uh, hubba-baloo that's going on, we're just going to let you sit down for the reading of the text. Exodus chapter 17, and we're going to start reading at verse 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. Pay attention to who we're talking about here. Don't get lost because there's a lot of names I'm going to read to you. Amalek came to fight with Israel. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men. <laughs> choose who? Uh, no, choose what? Us. What's that two-little word? Uh, us. We, me, and you, we, me and you are in this together. Who said it? Moses said it to Joshua. He said, choose us. That, that implies to me we're going to do this together. Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow... I'm going to go up on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Hey, what happened to this us? <laughs> Wait a minute. You sending me out to fight Amalek, and you going up on the mountain. Where did us come into this? You got a mouse in your pocket. How, how, did it, how do we go from us to you go out and fight, and I'm going to go up on the mountain with the rod of God in my hands? Thanks. 
So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And we let, when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Verse 13 says, So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Go down, Joshua, go down and fight the Amalekites. I'm going to go up on the mountain and raise up the rod of God. What I want to show you here on Pentecost Sunday is we have to be in this thing together. We have to be in, in what, Pastor? That's right. Whatever it is that you're trying to do, we got to be in it together. God did not design us to be in it as separatists. He designed us to be in it together. There is something called synergy that we gain one by being with another. It's, a, it's an energetic force that propels us farther together than we could ever get alone. And we have to be in this. We have to change our mindsets to where we think we can accomplish things by ourselves. We have to realize that we are in this together. As a matter of fact, I've been hearing during this whole pandemic, we're in this together. I've been hearing on the television commercials. I've been hearing politicians say it. I've been hearing governors and, and, and people say we're in this together. But it don't always feel like we're in this together. Because your experience and my experience are not the same things. Now, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds here before I get back to Moses and Joshua. But I want you to understand, when you look across the aisle, you have to realize everybody's experiences are different than yours. And, and for some reason, we got this idea that if I don't feel a way about a thing, somebody else shouldn't feel a way about a thing. But I can tell you that I've raised three children under my roof, and none of the three have all came out the same. They're all experiencing the same house, but they experience it differently. This is Pastor Appreciation, Pastoral Family Appreciation Day. And all of you may appreciate me, but you'll appreciate me for different things. Because some of you will appreciate me for things I did for you. Some of you will appreciate me just because I have the office. Some of you will appreciate me because I give the word. Some of you will appreciate me because I prayed for your loved one and they got saved. Everybody's experiences are different. And for us to declare that we're in this together, we're going to have to realize that although somebody else's experience is different than mine, it doesn't change who I'm supposed to be operating under. Uh, okay, Moses, Moses and Joshua are fighting the Amalekites. Agreed? But they're not doing it the same. They're actually fighting on two different spheres at the same time. I see a lot of people in the church today that are fighting, but they're fighting on one or the other. And they haven't figured out that sometimes to defeat the enemy, you've got to fight on both spheres at the same time. See, some of you are great at human effort. When it comes to getting things done, 
If you could defeat the devil by work alone, you would win every single battle because you have a work ethic that is unbelievable. You will get up earlier than everybody else. You will work harder hours. You will work longer hours. Whatever it takes to get the job done, that's you. You are relentless. You are tenacious. And if it was all about human effort, you'd have gotten through and gotten over a long time ago. But your problem is you get frustrated because after all that hard work, you still haven't defeated the Amalekites. Because you have not realized that you will not win this battle through flesh and blood. It is a spiritual battle, and you have to engage the devil on a different battlefield. You can do all of this work, Mama. You can do all of this work, Daddy, and read all the books and do everything right for your child and your child still go off the rails because it's not just about what you did, what you said, what books you read, how, what your curfew was, what you kept them from, what you got the letter. It wasn't about that. You can do everything right and still lose to the Amalekites because it's not just about what you do. You can put all this work in, but if you pray occasionally and pray pathetically, you're not going to get over on the devil. Because you don't have the same conviction in your spirit life as you do in the natural life. And you operate like somebody who's not saved. So you work your fingers to the bone and you are not skilled in the right weapons of the warfare because you are skilled in the weapons of the flesh but you are lacking in the weapons of the spirit and if it won't break under your flesh you can't defeat the enemy. So you are toiling and rowing and struggling and digging and digging and you are putting all your effort into what you do and you can't get over on the devil and the battlefield is still over you and you can't figure out why the enemy seems to be winning Joshua was a fighter he was skilled in battle but him fighting without Moses did you catch what it said when he was fighting without Moses raising when Moses's hands fell the Amalekites overcame them when you are only fighting on one sphere the enemy will always get the upper hand on you the other extreme, I, uh, boy, I've met these in the church. People who go so far into spiritual warfare, we call them being so earthly minded, they know earthly good. Uh, 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 here we've got people who are good at fasting. They're wonderful at prayer. They pray in tongues. They pray in the Spirit. They pray in English. They pray from the sun up to the sun down. They got a routine. They face a certain direction. They got to have something over the head. They got to be on the right knee and then the left knee. And then they do the hokey pokey and they turn themselves around. And they walk around the house. The devil is a liar. I take authority. They rebuke him and they have no common sense whatsoever. They can pray and pray. You catch them in Walmart and they're praying in the aisle about whether they should buy Fruit Loops or Apple Jack. They're laying hands on both boxes, claiming them in the name of Jesus, wanting, wanting the Lord to show them by an angel showing up and flipping the box off whether or not they should take the Apple Jacks or the Fruit Loops home. They are a Fruit Loop is the problem. Because they got all kinds of spiritual aspirations, but they don't have any common sense. Uh, I'm not saying you shouldn't pray, 
But praying in the Spirit and at the same time ignoring natural laws and your own natural needs is not going to get the breakthrough that you're looking for. I've met far too many women with backslidden or lost husbands who come to church all the time and pray for their husbands to be, get, law, uh, get saved, but she won't cook him dinner. Oh, he got quiet in here. Because she's expecting God to just show up and save his soul, but she don't want to do anything in the natural world to make him feel loved and appreciated. Y'all not going to help me right there. See, see, we, we want to get so far into one weed or the other that we don't realize that if we don't have both, we're going to lose to the Amalekites. Hmm? Moses raising his hands on the mountain. In the logical side of myself, seems to have absolutely nothing to do with what's going on in the valley. How are you going to help me up here on the mountain, Moses? You told me to go pick a fight. And then you said, I'm going to go up on the mountain. Be like me and Ron Hall out in the woods deer hunting and a grizzly bear come rolling up on us. And I say, hey, you go fight him off. I'm going to go pray in tongues. I'm going to go, oh, even better, I'm going to go get in a tree stand and pray in tongues. <laughs> My, Moses, Moses said, Joshua, go pick a fight with, a, with a, 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 somebody who is better than you, more equipped than you, more powerful than you. Go start a fight. I'll be up on the mountain. Holding up the rod of God. Spiritual warfare seems totally disconnected from the issue that is at hand. And this is why so many of us miss it, because we don't realize how vitally important spiritual warfare is to our victory because we can't see the spiritual warfare. We see what's happening around us. We see with our natural eyes the trouble that's at our hand, but we don't see how important spiritual warfare is to the victory. God will ask you to do things that are ludicrous. I mean, he will tell you to do some foolish stuff in order to see, for you to see, that more things are important in this world than just what you can see with your natural eyes. You think that heathen child of yours is just a bad kid. You don't see the spiritual warfare that is going on over their lives. You think that that, that, that uh, boss at work is being mean to you just because they don't like you or, or, or they're prejudiced or they, got, they don't like men or they don't like women or they don't like people with blue eyes or they don't like people who wear Nike tennis shoes. But it, you don't understand that above everything that is coming out of their mouth, there is a weapon that is being used against you from the fortitude of hell. And if all you're trying to do is make them like you, you're going to dress differently, you're going to talk differently, you're going to change the way you act around them, and none of that's going to work. You hear what I'm saying? None of that's going to work because the warfare is not about who you are and how you treat them. The warfare is spiritual, and if you don't get into that realm, you're never going to win the battle. God will ask you to do crazy stuff. He'll say, go take Jericho. Great. How are we going to do it? March. Uh, okay, and, and after we march, you're going to send the tanks in. No, you're going to march around it six days, and on the seventh day, you're going to march around it seven times, and then yell at it. <laughs> oh, you want me to scream at the wall after seven days. So I guess after seven days, you're going to make a, an earthquake happen. No, I want you to yell at the wall. Hey, 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 Israel, you want out of Egypt? Leave. But before you go... Kill and eat a lamb. 
and put the blood over the doorway. I'll protect you, don't worry. He'll ask you to do things that seem ludicrous. You have to know how to use everything you have, not just what you're comfortable with. You cannot ignore the physical aspect of your warfare or the spiritual. If you stay up all night before work on Monday, praying in tongues about your job, you're going to be too sleepy to do the job. You, you can't do one without considering the other. And, and, and strategically pointing all efforts at one thing and ignoring everything else is why you are losing the battle. I'm going to give you something right now that is worth your trip to church. You ready for this? What you are going to have to learn to do, what I am going to have to learn to do, is pointing all of our efforts at one thing. In other words, I'm going to stand here and tell you that most of us have never had every area of our life pointed at the same thing at the same time. Your actions, your prayer life, your conversations, your relationships, if they were all pointed in one direction, you would be far more effective. You come to church on Sunday, but the rest of the week you have relationships that are not churchy. That means that you are double-minded and you wonder why you can't win the battle. You wonder why the Amalekites are running roughshod over you and your family. You come to church on Sunday and speak in tongues, but then you, you go out Monday night and you start gossiping and backbiting and slandering folks and running stuff down. We're not in this together. See, I'm not in it with you if I can talk nice to your face and talk behind your back. That is not a spirit-filled life. That's not what Pentecost is about. Speaking in tongues is not what Pentecost is about because I've seen people speaking tongues and then speaking a forked tongue when they walk to the parking lot. I want to know who you really are and if we're in this together, it's one spirit. And, and the problem that too many people have is that we've got our lives pointing in 17 different directions. I got my work life. I got my work relationships. I got my church life. I got my church relationship. I got my secret life and I got my secret. Y'all ain't going to help me right there. And we got all this kind of stuff that we hope the preacher don't find out. And we hope the church don't find out. Or we hope the boss don't find out. But God knows about all of it. And if we think we're hiding it from him, we're crazy. And we wonder why we can't defeat the Amalekites. Because we don't have everything pointed at one. If all of your efforts was pointed at getting your children saved. If all of your efforts was pointed at growing and maturing in the Lord. If all of your efforts was pointed at becoming victorious and, and having more faith, you would find out that God would bring you up and bring you out. Moses, Aaron, Hur, and Joshua, they're all fighting the same enemy and all doing it differently, but with the same goal. They were all in it together. Moses was holding up the rod. And I can tell you as a pastor, it do get heavy. Times come when you are holding up spiritual warfare for other people. Because make no mistake about it, Moses is on the mountain. He ain't down there on the battlefield. He's seeing this thing from a distance. If Joshua dies on the battlefield by the sword, it don't hurt Moses. Moses. 
Moses is separate from this. Moses is on the mountain. They're not getting him. But he's still fighting the same enemy. He's fighting in the spirit. The Bible says when his arms got tired, he lowered, he lowered, he, he lowered what he was holding. I don't have time. I'm in 25 minutes already. He lowered what he had been holding. It's easy to come out of the gate strong. But the longer you have to hold something, the heavier that something gets. And when you stand and declare the victory of God, you do not realize how heavy that will become when you have no help. That's why we have to be in this together. Because he got tired. And look what happened when he got tired. When the leader, when, when the man of God got tired and he let his arms go down. When he stopped being able to hold what he was holding, it didn't just affect him. It affected the people beneath him. The people under him. He was on the mountain. Joshua was under him. So the people under him was affected when he got tired. So Aaron and her, we don't know a thing about her. We know something about him, but we don't know anything about her. We know about Aaron, but we don't know about her. But we know this. When the man of God needed him, he stood by his side and he said, I don't see what you see and I can't carry what you carry. Notice neither one of them picked the rod up. Wouldn't it have made more sense if I got three guys, if I got two buddies up on this mountain and my arms are tired, why don't I just hand it off? Here, you hold it a while. But that doesn't work because you can't transfer anointing. You can't transfer burden. What I feel is what I feel. My experience is not your experience, but that doesn't mean we can't get in this together. Y'all not going to help me. See, what I experience and what you experience may be two different things. I get put, I ain't going to get too deep into the weeds here, but I get pulled over by the cops. You get pulled over by the cops. We got two different experiences. I don't know what's going on in your mind. You don't know what's going on in my mind, but I want you to know that we can be in it together no matter what we experience differently. And so these brothers came along and said, I can't hold that for you, but I can sure help you hold it. I can't carry it for you, but I can help you carry it. Because we can be in this together. We can understand that we don't see everything the same, but that doesn't mean that we can't fight the same enemy side by side and be in this thing together. I can't carry what you carry. You can't carry what I carry, but we can do it together because we have one enemy and it's not each other. So they helped Moses hold up the rod of God. And it seems ridiculous. I hold work days at the church, get mad when people don't show up to help. But I have to realize there are people doing things that aren't holding paintbrushes. I'm getting old enough now to realize somebody had to buy that paint. You may not show up to sling it. After I've seen you paint, I may not want you to. You may not show up to sling the paint, but if you paid for the paint, you glory to God, you helped hold up somebody's arms. We're in this together. 
We can't do it all the same. You don't have the same burden or the same skill set. You can't do everything I do. I can't do everything you do, but we're in this together. And where I'm uh, lacking, you are strong and vice versa. And so, so when, 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 we're letting, when we're letting our faith out, we have to realize that God is the one who authors faith. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. If I was going to bring faith to a city, I would not start in the house of a harlot. But God did. He found faith down at the house of Rahab. That's not where I'd be looking for faith. What's God doing in there anyway? I thought he was a holy God. What's he doing at a, at a harlot's house? Because sometimes God will have a plan for somebody's life, even if their life has been a mess up to that point. Even if their lifestyle has been a mess. Even if their conduct has been a mess. Even if their past has been a mess. And yet God has a strategy for their life, and he's going to use them to do something for his kingdom. If, listen, if I could just take a snapshot of your life, I'm not talking about the entirety of your life. I'm not talking about the whole 40 or 50 or 60 years you've been alive. But if I could just take a snapshot of each person in this room, none of you would be qualified to even serve God or get into heaven. If I could just take one bad moment of your life, you'd all be disqualified. But thank God that we're in this together. And where I have fallen and you have fallen, He has picked us up. That's called grace. That's called mercy. Thank God. God for the Holy Ghost who restores us back to Him. Every one of us would be disqualified if we could just see one little small snippet of our life. Nobody would have thought you'd end up being who you are right now if they'd have seen you 10 years ago. If they'd have seen you 10 days ago. If they'd have seen some of you 10 minutes before church started. They wouldn't think you could be who you are right now. But through every storm and every situation, the thing that has always brought you through was that God had a strategy for your life. Because uh-huh. when he's got something for you to do, he doesn't ask my opinion about it. He just says, you guys are in this together. Oh, go ahead and look at each other's clay feet. Ain't none of us perfect. Go ahead and look at our flaws. Go ahead and look at the color of our skin. Go ahead and look at the color of our eyes. Go ahead and look at where we get, went to school and where we didn't go to school. But realize that when you get done examining all that, the same God that you serve and praise is the same Spirit that, ra- that lives in me because the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in me. One faith, one Spirit, one baptism, and we're all in this together. Can you give God some praise in this church for the body of Christ? Church, I have missed you. Thank you for coming to church this morning. I have missed preaching to you. Uh, I just believe, because of all this, I just believe good stuff's going to work out for my good. I just do. I, I know we all have valleys and we all hit low places, but I just, because God has been so good to me, I just believe that eventually He's going to bring something good out of this mess that I'm going through. 
Oh, I'm broke right now, but don't take a snapshot of this because I'm going to praise him anyway. Don't take a snapshot of where I am right now because this ain't where I'm destined to. He has a strategy for me. Oh, I might be sick right now, but don't take a snapshot and declare me dead and dance on my grave because, bless God, he's got a strategy to bring me up and bring me out. And I believe something good's going to happen. I believe this nation needs healing. And listen. I don't have time to teach you this. But salvation begins in the house of the Lord. We can't keep casting off on the world saying the world is broke and the world is messed up and, and the world is dysfunctional. At some point we have to say, hey God, why don't you start right here? Why, why don't you start right here? Fix my heart. Let me realize that we, we, we all in this together. Red, yellow, black, white, Jew, non-Jew, Greek, Roman. We're all in this together because one spirit. God does not have a black and a white spirit. He, he doesn't have, the, when the blood flowed down Calvary's cross, he didn't have different droplets for different nationalities. It's all red. We're all in this together. That's what Pentecost is. Pentecost is not to make me sweat. That's just me. I can't blame the Holy Ghost for this. Bringing a towel to church. That's not the Holy Ghost. That's my overactive sweat glands. I can't blame the Holy Ghost on that. I want to see the Holy Ghost living in my life because the Spirit that's in me bears witness with the Spirit that's in you. And it don't matter where you are, where you're from, where you've been. It only matters where we're all going. And we're all in this together. And that's the spirit of Pentecost. Father, I love you. I thank you for promise of victory. I wish we could all be together at one time, God. But we're going to take what we are given right now. And in this season, God, we're going to, we're going to give you praise. And we're going to give you glory. Because this is better than what we had. And we believe even better is coming. God, we are... We are professing today that you are one God. You're not separated among nationalities and people groups, God. You're one God, and you call us to be one people. I pray that you're going to help us heal our hearts, heal our minds, heal this nation, and heal the church. It's often been said that the most segregated place in America is the church house on Sunday mornings. God, don't let that be so. Make us one people because we are all in this together. God, the black and the white are in this together. The brown and the yellow are in this together. But also the hurting and the rejoicing are in this together. The tearful and the shouting are in this together. The sick and the well. The blessed and the cursed. We're all in this together. Help us lift each other up. Help us consider our brothers above ourselves. And help us most of all, God, to have your heart and your eyes. In the name of Christ, I praise you and I worship you. Amen and amen.